When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Daily Briefing. I'm Jack Farley. It is Wednesday, June 23rd. Today, the S&P ended up slightly in the red, but the Nasdaq eked out yet another gain, ending on an all-time high. Samuel, what are you looking at? Well, Jack, we're still under major COVID restrictions here in Europe, but the travel industry is pushing back, and so we may finally be able to get on planes coming in August. Oh, well, glad to hear that. Um, oil today, speaking of travel, rallies on news of dwindling stockpiles with energy stocks going up, up, up. And speaking of surges, Bitcoin up more than 18% after dipping below $30,000. And we are joined by Real Vision's Weston Nakamura. Weston, how are you making sense of the action we saw today in global equities? I don't think we can hear Samuel. Can you hear Weston? No, I don't hear Weston. We'll give him a minute to, to unmute. But I'll just have to tell you, it's just amazing to me when you look at what's happened since last week, since the Fed and the dot plots. It was fascinating to think we're basically where we were before that last Fed meeting, that things have pretty much come full circle, the market new highs. And so really, um, you can just delete the past few days in a sense, at least in the short term, certainly not in the medium or long term, I'm sure you would say, Weston. Uh, yeah, well, it would um, it would seem like um, you know you could almost delete uh, the last uh, week, but it's notable to point out that um, on Monday and Tuesday, uh, the Nikkei uh, average in Japan had an absolutely insane sort of whipsaw two days. We had four percent down on Monday, and then we had a three and a half percent recovery on Tuesday. Today, it's as if you know nothing ever happened. Uh, that was all in reaction to, you know, the Fed, uh, Powell, and um, the BOJ on uh, Friday. And so there's a lot of hedge fund positioning unwinding. But it's very interesting to see sort of this regional dispersion of indices. They're, not, they're no longer trading, you know, glued together anymore. Weston, I want to ask you, uh, to, to Samuel's point about how there's been so much topsy-turvy action, it, it's very hard to tell what regime we're in. Are we in a regime where rates are rising and energy stocks are doing well, or where they're falling and tech stocks are, are leading the charge? And every day, it sort of is on, you're, you're on and you're off. And I think uh, more, uh, there's nothing more typifies that more than today. I saw uh, earlier today the two stocks that were leading the most in the S&P 500 were Occidental Petroleum and Tesla Motors, and those stocks have almost nothing to do with them. You can't say, oh, it was uh, the electric vehicle stocks leading today. It was the it was the oil stocks today. It really was just a risk on sentiment, and you really can't tell who's going to be you know where's the baton going to be passed to in terms of leadership within U.S. equities. What what are you making sense of this? How are you making sense of this, Weston? I, I mean, I think you summed it up perfectly. Um, I think right now there are, um, there is just this you know tug between um, inflation and you know transitory, how transitory is transitory, 
um, you know, growth versus uh, value. Um, then you have that kind of like regionally, like I was just saying, with, you know, uh, Japan versus, let's say, UK, for example. Samuel, you speak on that as well. Um, Europe, uh, you have, you know, DM indices doing hitting all time record highs. You have Japan just not at all participating as top months ago. Um, and then you see yeah, within sectors and then you see within single stocks as well. Um, a lot of dispersion. So what, I, what I'm really seeing is just um, I think that we're finally uh, I'm hoping we're finally in a phase in which we are actually not just, you know, like 2020 where you can just go long anything. Um, you can actually do some security selection and um, and, and sort of generate alpha uh, based on, I guess, fundamentals. As, yeah, as close stock, to fundamentals as you get. a stock pickers market, perhaps. Um, Samuel, I have a question for you. So while investors in U.S. market were pretty indecisive, in Europe, they definitely were decisive to the negative, uh, with the CAC 40 down 0.91%, the FTSE down 22 basis points, and the DAX down 1.15%. How are you making sense of the weakness we saw in Europe? Well, a lot of it had to do with the fact that even though vaccinations have done so well here in the United Kingdom, that we're still under a form of lockdown. It's hard to believe that the vaccination rate is higher here in the UK than the US, and this is what governments have been pushing for, yet we can't even step foot and go on an airplane to most places. And this is really keeping Europe in a lockhold. The UK, Brits going abroad to places like Spain, Portugal, and Greece. It's really the lifeblood of the economy here in the summer months. And finally, the travel industry is starting to say, we've had enough. It's not enough clarity. There's not enough transparency to what the government is doing. And other countries are getting fed up with what the UK is doing. So we finally had a window that says that maybe in August, people like me living here in the UK will be able to get on airplanes and revive the rest of the economy in Europe. I know there's been a lot of buildup in stocks here in the past few months, but I'm curious to see what you think, Weston, if this is already priced into the market, or you think that there will be more value unlocked as more and more people are able to get on easy jet flights, which is the equivalent to Southwest Airlines in the United States, and be able to take our summer holiday, as they say here, to Spain, Portugal, and those other beach countries. I really feel like that's what's holding the market back here in spite of that vaccine rates. Uh, yeah. Um... But then again, like I said, um, you know, Europe uh, as as a whole, you know, Euro stocks are not really doing too bad. Um, uh, certainly, the UK is uh, certainly outperforming more than I had uh, originally thought. My concern really is actually on the vaccine front would be the Olympics in Japan um, coming up, uh, in which you have a very very low vaccination rate, sub ten percent uh, for Japan, and we have basically the entire world about to congregate here in about four weeks. So that's going to be messy. Yeah, Weston, to what do you attribute the exceedingly low rate of vaccination in Japan? Earlier, we put up a chart while Samuel was speaking of the rates of vaccination with Israel in the lead, United Kingdom just edging out the US. And I don't even think Japan showed up on that chart. What? Why are people in Japan not getting vaccinated? And what risk does this pose as the uh, Summer Olympics looms upon us? Severe, severe underpriced risk. Um, so the, there are, I mean, there are many, many reasons um, that one could point to. But at this point, it's just very inexplicable. The government knows that there's a vaccine. Uh, they just approved of, um, I think, uh, Moderna last week. This, this is this has been around for you know quite some time now. Japan has resources. Japan has uh, you know ways to get vaccines. And Japan is proactively dragging their feet. Uh, you know, it's kind of an oxymoron, but 
Um, and it's it's very strange because you they're going to jeopardize the Olympics um, if they don't vaccinate people. Uh, they're they're putting a lot of manpower behind um, you know making sure that all the athletes that are coming in uh, are going to get vaccinated at the expense of vaccinating their own sort of uh, you know th- th- their citizens. So it's kind of becoming a really just a huge political mess here. But they are in a bind because of the contracts that they have to sign uh, with the uh, IOC, the Olympic Committee. Um, if they cancel it, it's on them. It's, a, it's the the cost is on Tokyo, basically. So uh, especially on especially on those TV deals that they have, they have to exactly. pay back money to a lot of big broadcasters, including in the United States. And so I think because of those contracts, there is no way that the Olympics aren't going through. Exactly. If you actually look at Comcast, um, which is NBC Universal, which has the rights to the Olympics, there are a lot of put up, uh, open interest and put options uh, for a um, for the July expiry, just in case there's like a last minute cancel because that stock is going to fall. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's going to go through and it's going to be a very strange. You're not allowed to cheer. It's going to be very quiet. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of feel bad for the athletes. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, so, so that's that's Japan. I, w- I want to move back to Europe because Samuel, today we had some data out of Europe, the PMIs or the Purchasing Managers Index, and with the exception of Germany, which had a 60.4 versus a 57.6, which was uh, expected, the UK and France, United Kingdom and France, both uh, came in lower than expectation. So even though their economies are growing um, in terms of both manufacturing and services, it was less than expected. How does that square with what you're seeing on the ground uh, in the UK? Well, it absolutely squares with what I'm seeing. Yes, things like goods and services have obviously picked up. But at the end of the day, you have so many facets of the economy that are still on hold. And I think there's a big divide. I don't think people in the United States realize just how stark the the difference is between what you're allowed to do there in the United States and what we can't do. I'm from Arizona originally, and I was back home, and it was people had moved forward with their lives. And here you still have, especially when it comes to travel, that's why I was drilling this home, that the travel industry is finally putting strong protests up against the government, putting pressure on the conservative party here to put pressure on Boris Johnson, and they're finally giving in. So you look around, and if you were in the street, you would see, yes, people are at restaurants, but on the periphery, there's still so much that isn't happening, and there's no sight of when that's happening, and there's no clarity from the government where you see other countries start to look at when they're going to have concerts or when they're really going to have stadiums that have people in them. We lag way behind in that. And again, a point I'd like to make, regardless of how you feel about vaccinations, the UK has put a lot of pressure on the people here to get vaccinated. The program has done very well, but they're not rewarding the people in any way. There's pressure to get vaccinated, but not the true type of pressure that you get some type of reward for it. So there's this real dichotomy here of saying, you're, you got to go out and get vaccinated, but then you can't get on a plane. You can't go to a ball game. So these types of pressures really have a knock-on effect for the rest of the economy. It doesn't surprise me to see that that's playing out in the numbers because so many industries 
are saying enough already. I mean, this is stuff that in Arizona people were talking about last year. It hasn't really gone into this year. But here in the UK, here in Europe, it, these pressures from the pandemic still really persist in spite of the similar vaccination rate the UK has the US. That's not true for the rest of Europe. But at the end of the day, you've got a country that's well over 60% vaccinated with two doses, yet we're living how Americans were living six months ago. And Samuel, to what do you attribute that? Is it the cultural reasons in the United States people value freedom and you know perhaps Europe is more bureaucratic, or is that is that too simple? To what how do you explain that discrepancy? No, I think it is that type of libertarian streak that we have in the United States and that people have largely gone through with this. I don't think it would be politically possible to do what the UK is doing right now in, in any state in the United States, even New York or California, quite frankly. So I think a lot of it does come down. Uh, to those cultural values, those political values. But I think at the other side of it, that the pandemic was so bad here, the second wave in places like the United Kingdom, that that's in part why people have been willing to go along with this. But the question for me is how much longer? And I think today was that breaking point where the travel industry really was able to put that political pressure. But again, when you think about it, they're saying we're not going to be able to travel into the into August. I mean, that's a real a headache for the rest of Europe that's waiting for those British tourism, I was going to say dollars, but pounds and euros in this case. Yeah, it really is a tale of two cities comparing the UK and the United States. Um, there's, a, there's a chart that we could put up, um, which is of the TSA throughput, basically how many passengers per day are going through US airports. And it, this is the blue line. And you can just see it is going up, 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 and showing no signs of slowing. Of course, there is daily volatility. And actually, what we put up here uh, in the thick black line is the uh, US crude oil rotary rig count, which is basically the number of large offshore US oil rigs. Um, and it currently is 373, well above the uh, you know, depths level that we saw in March and April, but it's still well off the highs um, of somewhere around 800 or 900 that it, it normally is at. So this, um, Samuel, I think we could talk about our next topic, which is the fact that the price of oil continues to rise. Um, today, there was a, 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 an announcement from um, the EIA, which is the um, Energy uh, Information Ad Administration for the United States, that um, their surpluses of oil had dwindled by um, just under uh, a quarter of a million barrels compared to last week. And on this news, Brent um, oil exploded higher um, to actually as high as $76.02. Uh, then there was a little bit of a strange statement from um, Prince Abdul uh, Abdulaziz bin Salman um, at a Bank of America conference speaking for OPEC, um, saying that you know we have the ability to control inflation. But it was a, a bit of a mercurial statement, and you know it didn't scare the market, but it did cause oil to drift a little bit lower. Um, of course, the energy stocks uh, roared higher um, and then you know, drifted slow, slower uh, after that announcement. Weston, what do you make of? the tremendous rise in energy. It's been the defining feature of this market. And yet now it seems like we're kind of on a precipice of a change and we don't really know um, what's going forward. Is this a regime shift? Do you think $100 WTI, $100 Brent is realistic? Uh, well, the options market certainly thinks so. There's a lot of open interest at the $100 uh, strike. Um, futures as well, you know, if you look at like uh, CFTC, COT data, you know, you're just getting um, more and more length um, you have, you know, anywhere from the likes of Goldman to everyone else 
projecting upwards of $80 per barrel, and it looks like it's really not stopping there. Uh, that said, if you look at the futures curve of crude, WTI crude, if you go way out to, um, you know, I think that they go out maybe like maybe 10 years or so, but if you go out to, let's say, um, you know, December 2027, 20, for example, you're looking at mid 50s um, for, for price. So you're looking at so like severe backwardation right now. Um, and um, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's a very unique situation. Um, that kind of structure, and that's not really sustainable for that long. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, like you were saying earlier, uh, it really just takes a sh tiny shift in sentiment from OPEC, whether or not they actually do anything or even say anything, if there's some sort of suspicion um, that they want to kind of cash in on these, you know, very high oil prices that they have not been benefiting from uh, until recently, um, you can get a pretty ugly collapse, I think. And, and Weston, I was particularly interested to hear one analyst talking about really how much places like Mexico and Colombia have been affected in terms of production. And they say that's going to cost a lot of money on both the front end and the back end. So when you hear that, how do you factor that in? Factor that in, rather. Um, you mean in terms of like a like U.S. energy energy plays? Like, yeah, and, and in yeah. general, then where where crude goes in, in the short to medium term. Uh, I well, I mean, I think that with regards to the the, the energy sector for the U.S., for example, I mean, I, so it's it's definitely the the leader by far, right? I think we're looking at forty three percent up uh, year to date. Um, clearly, the leader. Um, I think that it was Tony Greer who said this a, a few weeks ago, perhaps. But um, just because the price appreciation um, has occurred, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily a crowded trade, and it could, it could actually just be the fact that. Because the price is appreciated, you know, people are just kind of like hands off. So you might have very few people uh, involved in this trade, and you could have a lot more, um, you know, uh, capital coming, um, you know, behind uh, the the energy sector, particularly because of that rebalance that we talked about the last time um, of the momentum index, um, in which now energy has some representation as opposed to zero prior to. So. Uh, so as far, as far as crude is concerned, um, yeah, 80 is probably possible. Um, but the uh, if you want to play through equities, I think that there's um, there's probably more upside there. Yeah, of course, energy comprised at its lows of just 1.5% of the entire S&P 500. Now it's something like three times that after the tremendous rally that we've had. Um, Weston, you, you mentioned OPEC. Their meeting is scheduled for July 1st, so it really is all eyes on OPEC. Are they going to let continue to let the price float higher, or are they going to really instill uh, price discipline? Also, Samuel, to your, to your earlier point about uh, you know, uh, dwindling production, I think that's uh, true in Mexico, Colombia, as well as the broader world. After the uh, huge boom and bust that we saw in, in 2007, uh, you know, these oil companies have put a lot of capital to work to invest in uh, creating new supply and, and new infrastructure. And that has been an absolute dismal failure for the, um, for, for the oil industry. So I think their focus now is on cost discipline and returning capital to shareholders. So uh, you, I think we see that with the news from ExxonMobil, that they plan to cut uh, 5 to 10% of their white-collar workforce and really focus on diminished costs. Um, Weston, could you uh, just Going back to the back backwardation point, could you share uh, with us why is it that backwardation is typically seen as a bullish sign when the spot price is much higher than the futures price? Why is that typically seen as bullish? Well, bu bullish in 
well, it depends on the time frame, right? Obviously, you know, if you're looking out, uh, um, you know, many years from now, you know, you're, I mean, you're looking at crude prices that are twenty to twenty dollars less. Um, it, it's 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 bullish near term because um, it's it's basically. So I don't know if this time is different, but um, you know, you have a lot of front end demand. Uh, you have um, you know the uh, you have OPEC basically kind of choking off supply and all that. But then the fact that you have fifty dollar um, crude, you know, price out seven eight years forward, I don't know if that's a um, you know a, a, a byproduct of this this sort of secular shift away from uh, from crude and into more you know green uh, energy. And if this is therefore uh, you know here to stay, or if it's going to correct back into Cotego, but. Um, but for now, I mean, it's 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 positive because you can have a uh, positive roll yield. So when you roll your futures, you don't have to take a hit um, by rolling higher. You would actually collect a, a small and, yield. And I just say, I got to say, Weston, that Jack and I were talking to you throughout the day. And when you were talking about oil prices, you say, but just watch out for OPEC. You never know when that wild card could come in. And we heard what Jack said, exactly that. You called it right right before it happened nearly. And that is really, is that is the wild card, no matter what happens in the market. At some point, you know, the Saudis are going to say, we want to make some money and put more supply out there. Yeah. yeah, but then again, you know, you might have you you might have some legitimate demand, you know, to to match that. So, um, well, and if if I could get on an airplane again, like <laughs> I was complaining about earlier in the show, along with the rest of Europe, then maybe we'll really see demand go up, and I think that'll have a big effect. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, Weston, you said that oil uh, may not be a crowded trade. You were quoting Tony Greer. It's interesting. Uh, I believe in the last Bank of America fund manager survey, two of the most crowded trades to be thought of by fund managers. Again, it's not the truth, it's just what these fund managers think, was oil or energy and Bitcoin. Uh, Samuel, it's my understanding that Bitcoin had a tremendous rebound. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's fascinating because if you look what happened this week in that great conversation that you and I had with Ash just a couple of days ago, we talked about how China clamping down on Bitcoin mining in China and maybe that going over to the United States. And in fact, we've actually seen a lot of sales over to the United States as a result of that. But I think Ash laid out a really important, uh, not a view, but a really important factor, the fact that it wasn't just mining, the fact that it was um, China also reminding places like Alipay that they really can't be partaking in these types of transactions with cryptocurrencies, that that could have a much bigger effect. And I thought there was some really solid reasoning there. There. And uh, certainly the market thought so a couple of days ago, and Bitcoin goes below $30,000. And then at one point today, up 18%. The market just was able to shrug that off. But Weston, I know that you have a particularly strong view uh, on that, and that really, you, you say it's basically cyclical. Uh, well, well, I don't know about cyclical, but my point um, for, that I've been you know, um, just flagging to everybody is that um, 
you really have to look at Bitcoin as not as it's not a USD denominated asset. This is truly a global asset. So you can't just look at BTC USD. And the reason why this really matters for this particular week was because when it broke 30,000 um, support, that was not a support, as you can see. That was just a very kind of arbitrary line. Uh, the support is actually based on BDC JPY, um, and it has been for uh, the you know the better part of the sell-off. Um, you'll see 3.2 million yen uh, for BDC JPY as the exact point where it bounces off and it just you know rebounds. And so it's it's trading very technically because of the fact that there are you know the the majority of uh, the the you know the, the market players are are kind of on the sidelines. They're everyone's just kind of looking at each other, and so therefore it's very subject to just sort of um, you know uh, say called systematic flows, and and therefore uh, very bound to technicals and technical levels. And they seem to be matching up really uh, in line with BTC JPY uh, more so than BTC USD. So I would make you know I would advise everyone to just make sure you have that ticker next to BTC USD. Yeah, it's definitely not a market that's only denominated in dollars. It's denominated in most every fiat currency. Also not a market that's denominated only in fiat. There's BTC Ethereum, there's BTC Ripple, there are BTC perpetual swaps. And you know, th this market is, is very nation. So I think you, we definitely should be hesitant about imposing sort of support levels denominated in dollars on this uh, market. So Samuel, it's interesting. You said that Bitcoin was up 18%, and it definitely was up from the, from the lows. But um, how should I put this? That often when you report, oh, it's up this, it's up that in traditional finance market, financial markets, it's easy because it's from it's it's the daily. It was up from last day's close. Of course, Bitcoin never closes, so it's really hard to say if it's if it's up X percent relative to what. And I think um, that the, there's nothing a better example of that than earlier um, yesterday when Ash was with Tony, uh, Tom, excuse me, Tommy Thornton. He said that Bitcoin was actually up. 12% year to date. And of course, when Ash was saying that at 4.30 PM, it actually was true. But earlier in the day, yesterday, at around 11 AM or 10 AM, I was looking, and Bitcoin was actually down year to date. So this brings my question to, and Weston or Samuel, you can take this, is that Bitcoin is you know now about 45% down, but it briefly was 50% down, um, a, a complete down, a drawdown from its absolute highs. So is it fair to say that Bitcoin is in a bear market? You Samuel, do you want to take that, that? one, Oh, what's it? Okay, that's 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 a really good question. So you're you're basically asking me if uh, the 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 term bear market in the way that we know it as you know twenty percent from peak applies to such a such an asset, um, a volatile asset. Um, I would I would say probably not because it hasn't drawn down to its levels of its previous historic drawdowns yet. So uh, if that's the benchmark for what a bear market would be, then I guess would say we are still in correction mode and not in, in bear market mode. Yeah. Um, Samuel, any thoughts? No, I mean, I think it's all relative for exactly the two reasons that you <laughs> and Weston laid out, whether it's currency or what the closing point is, because there is no closing point in any given day or any given currency even. So it is interesting to look at it from every which angle. But I think at the end of the day, it's safe to say that today was a positive day for Bitcoin, no matter which currency you're trading it against. Oh, certainly. Um, so we uh, are close to running out of time, but we have a question for um, from the audience, uh, Ralph Humphrey asks: Does shale put a ceiling on the price of oil? If so, what is that price? Weston, what do you think of that? So the that correlation is so, it's so tough. I I, I don't know. Um, I would think I would think that yes, it does, and I don't know what the price is. 
but it's not they're not always um positively and negatively correlated consistently so i you know if i had to guess i would say that it does i don't know what the price would be yeah it's tough because you know shale oil, uh, shale oil drillers they did kill the price of oil over the past decade but the question is are there any of them left that that still can do that um let's actually move on now to a, a segment um weston that you excuse me uh, samuel that you want to introduce which is called tweet of the day so let's look at this tweet that's very relative to, relevant to what we're talking about it's a tweet from jared dillian um, who writes that the inflation trade is impossible to kill, just like mega cap tech was impossible to kill for years. It just bounces back like a tennis ball. Early innings. Um, what do you think of this, uh, Weston? What do you think of this? Is the inflation trade? Is it early innings? Is it impossible to kill? What do you think? It's definitely not impossible to kill. Um, if it were, uh, if this was actually, you know, um, non-transitory inflation, then yes, it would be early innings. But I don't, you know, it's certainly not impossible to kill. Um, I think that per, uh, personally, I'm not, I'm not in the um, inflationista camp, so I, I would, I would have to, I would have to disagree. Um, but, um, but if, if you know, in in retrospect, then uh, you know, like, let's say a, a year out from now, then uh, obviously we could look back and say this is an early innings. But then a year from now, that would still be early innings because if it's if it's happening, it's really going to happen. You know. When it's funny when we started out the show, I said it seemed like the market had come full circle from where it was before the Fed meeting. And maybe uh, also Jay Powell has come full circle since then, because if you heard his comments in the past 24 hours, all of a sudden it sounded like he was saying that it was more transitory than anything, the inflation that we're seeing. But you just look at so many signs in the labor market. Maybe the other parts of the inflation are transitory, but that's why I've been trying to drill home on that story about American Airlines and other airlines in the the U.S. not being able uh, to meet the flights that they had committed to flying because they don't have enough people, whether it's um, uh, call agents. I, I really think, and as I listen to some of the smartest voices out there and some of the indicators out there that I'm doing in my reporting, that you see so much labor inflation. And I think uh, that's hard to see that going away, certainly here in Europe, since we haven't unlocked yet. Right. Well, as we approach a close, I quickly want to mention um, just a brief story for our viewers. It's, it's so important that we have to say uh, Fannie Mae investors were dealt a blow today when the Supreme Court ruled against them that basically what the federal government is, is doing now, where they're, all the profits go back to the Treasury and not to shareholders, is legal. Of course, this is after 2008 when uh, Fannie Mae was put into conservatorship. Uh, Fannie Mae common stock fell about 30 35%, and I believe that preferred uh, shares actually fell much, much more. Um, but guys, as we approach a close, let's talk a little bit about the Real Vision Festival of Learning, which of course began today and runs until Friday. This is uh, a live event uh, featuring some of the world's best investors who are, are sort of you know looking back on their own careers and what they've learned and sharing that learning with the audience. So today we had Howard Marks, legendary uh, debt investor, the best uh, distressed debt investor in the world, hands down, speak to his son, who is a venture capitalist, um, about the, the various lessons that they've learned uh, over the course of their careers and and whether growth investing versus value investing, how, how they think about that. Um, and it was moderated by none other than Jason Buck, Real Vision fan favorite. So that was a phenomenal interview. Uh, also, uh, Max Weathy was was speaking with uh, our, our colleague Christopher, and and Raul jumped in. So that was a lot of fun. And then, um, I mean, just looking at the roster, it's it's just really a who's who's. Neil Ferguson is going to be there. Um, the uh, Daniel Kahneman, 
is going to be there. So um, if you uh, are a Real Vision Pro member, maybe a Real Vision Plus member, um, you get this for free. But if you want to sign up, um, you can click on the link in the description. Uh, Weston, anything you want to say about the Festival of Learning? Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, I was just kind of in and out of it. To, to be honest with you, um, I'm because the videos, the, the, I could kind of rewatch them. But, um, you know, I was listening to, um, you know, the, 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 the introduction with um, Jamie McDonald. Um, and they were talking about, like, get involved with, like, the Slack channels and with the exchange and with the discussion that's taking place live. And there's some incredible discussions happening. And so I've been really, you know, focused on that. Like, during the Howard Marks thing, I was kind of in and out of that. But we were talking about generational, um, you know, investing styles and how we look at different um, uh, inflation expectations. And it's a really, really smart crowd. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, thank you so much, uh, Weston, and thank you so much, Samuel. Of course, a big thank you to everyone who is watching this. If you're watching this on our YouTube channel, definitely subscribe, obviously, but also check us out on realvision.com. We have uh, you know interviews with the world's best investors. Um, Weston and Samuel, thank you so much. Thanks Good a lot, evening Jack. from London. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.